Good morning, everyone. Our third reading is from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You, I am going to send you what my father has Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power. Amen. If you have a copy of the Bible in front of you, just leave it open at chapter 24 of Luke because that's where we'll be. And if you don't, I encourage you to bring a Bible to church because it's really handy. That's what we tend to look at every week. Um, How about I pray? Because that's another thing we do. We pray and ask God to help us understand what we're looking at in his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at the Bible now, we pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were with us at church on Friday, on Good Friday, then you'll notice this sermon or this talk has the same title. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour? If you don't, then can I ask you to reconsider as we look at this part of Luke? As we look at Luke chapter 24, can you please reconsider? As we look at the events around Jesus' resurrection, Like I did on Friday, um, at the end of this sermon, I'll invite you to pray a prayer with me. It's the kind of prayer that you might pray to make Jesus your Lord and your Saviour. It's the kind of prayer which Christians pray often. But first, let's think about frauds. So we've had Good Friday. Before that, we had Thursday. It was the 1st of April, April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day is a good day because you can do all sorts of practical jokes on people and get away with it. You can even lie. Blatant lies. People think it's funny. Any other day of the year, Eve, well, we don't really appreciate that at all. We don't like being duped. Any other day of the year to be lying is not appropriate. So a little feeble example. Um, VW, 
you know what I'm going to say next, don't you? They built their diesel motors and they built into their cars with these diesel motors this little workaround so that when the car detected that it was being tested, well, it would go into cripple its performance and release less emissions. We look at that and we think, that is just so wrong. That is a fraud. That is a deception. That's the kind of thing that we don't like. We don't appreciate. It's not the kind of thing that we want to see people doing. Here's the thing, though. Many people would say that Christianity is a fraud. It's based on lies. It's been made up. Lies have been propagated for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so, in effect, the church has deceived people and enslaved people for decades and hundreds of years. Now, if you're sympathetic with the idea that Christianity is a lie, then let me help you. Um, This is how you will unmask Christianity. This is how you'll prove that it is a lie. All you need to do is prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Disprove the resurrection and Christianity, it falls apart like a, a, a castle of cards in front of a fan. It just crumbles. So the Apostle Paul, who he's attributed with writing most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says in, Acts chap- in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he wrote, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith, it's, it's based on nothing but lies. He goes on, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Being um, an ex-Pharisee is a bit like a, a lawyer. He knows every little detail, and so he goes on still further to spell this out, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. The resurrection of Jesus, uh, Jesus' resurrection, him coming back to life, it's just central to everything about Christianity. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, well, we've got nothing. Nothing to preach, nothing to live for. There's no point in me standing here. But I would argue that as you... And if he did rise from the dead, then claimed. You need to actually, he's Lord, he's King, and he's our Saviour. He's the means by which God brings forgiveness of sins. Don't misunderstand me, though. Um, by accepting the truth that Jesus rose from the dead, we're not accepting some of the horrors and the atrocities that people have committed over the years and attributed it to the church or to Christianity. There are things which people have committed in the name of the church that should not be defended. There's wrongs that Christians have inflicted that should be corrected, not justified. What we hear is the truth at the heart of Christianity, the very truth at the heart of, of Christianity. If you want to disapprove Christianity, then prove that Jesus didn't rise from, rise from the dead and it falls apart. On the other hand, if you can be persuaded that the resurrection really did happen, then you need to take Jesus seriously and acknowledge the claims that he makes, that he is the Messiah, that he is the fulfilment of every one of God's promises, that he is our Lord and our Saviour. And so what we have in front of us is chapter 24 of Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel is one of the four Gospels out of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Um, The books in the New Testament aren't necessarily in 
order, though, so the Gospels are probably written later or last. Each of the four Gospels, they're written like a persuasive text. They're trying to persuade you that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, They're like a select biography written to persuade us that we should put our trust in Jesus. And so the first four verses of Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, he declares why he's writing. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled or accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. You look back through that, it's an orderly account that Luke has put together based on eyewitness details compiled in order to convict and persuade and give confidence and certainty that essentially Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour. We saw on Friday this orderly account begins with an account of Jesus' birth, the predictions of his birth and everything surrounding Jesus' birth, and then the way that John the Baptist prepared for Jesus. Luke's orderly account based on eyewitness evidence moves through from chapters 4 to 9, recounting the details of Jesus' ministry or his time in Galilee. And he has this geographicalness about his his gospel. He works down the map. So in chapter 9, we hear about, finally, the apostle Peter, having heard all that Jesus was teaching and doing, he declares, well, actually, you are the Messiah. He recognises Jesus as the Messiah, but he doesn't understand what that means. And Jesus goes on to say or predict that he will suffer, that he'll be killed. And on the third day, he'll rise from the dead. At the end of chapter 9 of this orderly account, Luke says that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. He just kept heading to Jerusalem, knowing that that's what was ahead of him, knowing where he was going. Um, And then in chapters 10 to 19 of this orderly account, what we have is Jesus teaching to his disciples on the way down to Jerusalem. All those parables and stuff that we are familiar with, it's all in there. At the end of that section, though, um, Jesus again predicts what will happen to him, and I'll read it for you. It's in Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man, that's his way of talking about himself, everything that's written by the prophets about me will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him, spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. On the third day, he'll rise again. And then in the end of chapter 19, Luke records the way Jesus arrives into Jerusalem, humble, on the back of a donkey. And then in the chapters 20 to 24, there's Luke's orderly account based on eyewitness details covering the time of Jesus' death and his resurrection, including the bit that we're looking at now in chapter 24. Luke, he's checked the details, gone back to the eyewitnesses. He's ordered his material geographically, he's chosen to, demonstrating the reality that everything Jesus did, it really happened, and Jesus is the Messiah. Everything that he did took him to Jerusalem. He fulfilled what the Old Testament prophets anticipated as he died and rose again. So Luke's gospel was written to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah our Lord and our Saviour. And what we're looking at is just chapter 24. And this is just Luke telling us um, what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. It's not complicated. The first 12 verses there, he 
shows what happens when the women find the empty tomb, how they reacted and how they ran back to the 11 to tell them what they'd found. Then in the next few verses from verse 13, he records how two people walking to Emmaus had this conversation with Jesus, not knowing it was him. Then they broke bread. They realized this is Jesus. He's alive. And they ran back again to the 11 to tell them what they found. And then from verses 36 to 49, we read how Jesus actually then appears to the 11. And then finally, how he was taken up into heaven. There's nothing complicated. He's just recorded the events, plugging through. This is what happened. Um, Luke's telling us about the resurrection of Jesus. But what strikes you as you read this, I suppose, almost ordinary account, what strikes you as you read it is the genuine reaction of these people to an unlikely event, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. You see these genuine reactions. Firstly, look at the women. Um, They went to the tomb to finish embalming the body and whatever else they needed to do. So Jesus, he died on Friday. At the end of Luke chapter 23, he tells us he dies on Friday. Luke explains how a man called Joseph from the town of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish council, someone who didn't agree with what the Jews did to Jesus, he hadn't consented to their actions. In 23 verse 52, Joseph, he goes to Pilate, the prefect, the local governor, and says, ask for the body of Jesus to give him a decent burial. Um, 23 verse 54, we're told it was preparation day, which is for the Jews, that's the day preparing for the Sabbath. Um, Sundown was the end of the the day of preparation. You couldn't do any more work after that. And so in verse 55, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, they saw where their body was placed and their intention is to come back and finish the work they couldn't do before the Sabbath. 24 verse 1 says, on the first day of the week, the women prepared their spices and they headed off to the tomb. The first day of the week, so Sunday uh, is the first day of the week for the Jews, Sabbath, seventh, seventh day, then it counts again. Sunday's the first day. Um, Jesus had predicted multiple times that he would rise from the dead on the third day. So Friday was the first day he died. The Sabbath, Saturday, he's in the tomb. And Sunday, the third day, he rises. But notice how Luke records the genuine response of these women. The last thing they had in their mind was that Jesus would be alive. When they discover the body is is no longer in the tomb, they don't know what to do. And so you look at verse 4, they don't don't remember that Jesus said, on that third day I'll rise from the dead. That's not doesn't even come to their mind. Maybe they were in a state of shock. I don't know. But their reaction is just so normal. So verse 4 of chapter 24, while they were wondering, wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then it says in verse 8, they remembered his words. You look at that and the the, the women's response is just so genuine. They had to be told. They had to be reminded that Jesus had said these things would happen. And so then they run back to the apostles And in verse 11, the apostles are just as surprised. So verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Perfectly natural. That's what it would seem like. Um, But Peter had enough curiosity to run back to the tomb. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what has happened. Luke's just recording these events. He's checked out the eyewitness accounts. He just puts it down on paper. This is what happened. And it's striking how genuine these reactions are to Jesus 
resurrection, this unlikely event. Jesus told them he would rise again, but when it actually happens, well, they don't know what to think, don't know what to make of it. You see it again with the, the two men walking to Emmaus. They have had this lengthy conversation with the resurrected Jesus without realising even who they're talking to. But then they sit down over dinner and finally it dawns on them and then Jesus, he's gone. It's like he vanishes from them. And when Jesus appears to the 11 um, and those who are gathered with them in verse 37, they're a bit the same. They think they're seeing a ghost. They don't go, oh, Jesus said he was going to They think they're seeing a ghost. These people were confronted with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and they're genuinely surprised in their reaction. They found it hard to accept. This doesn't read to me like a fake account. If you're making this up, why would you record it like this? It doesn't sound like a fake resurrection either. It doesn't sound like Jesus only sort of came alive in people's minds. It doesn't read like that either. This is Luke's showing us a physical, a bodily resurrection. Jesus' body no longer remained in the tomb, verses 1 and 2. He's not there anymore. His body is gone. When Jesus came alive, his body came alive and left the tomb. When the disciples, um, when the apostles they thought they'd seen a ghost, and so Jesus goes, well, we'll have a, look at my, have a look at my body, and he eats fish with them. So if you look at verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. It's I, myself. He's got a body to point to. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me, he says, and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And down in verse 41, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. You put it together and Jesus' resurrection is bodily. He has a resurrection body. It's a physical resurrection. He came back to life. Yeah, it would seem as you read this account carefully that his body may be transformed. He's able to, it seems, appear in different places. Um, somehow the, uh, the people on the road to Emmaus didn't first recognise him. Um, the apostles thought they were seeing a ghost. So, yeah, it seems his, there's a transformation of Jesus' body, but it is still his body. And it's the body which he keeps for eternity because at the end of Luke here, he ascends into heaven. You won't find Jesus' dead body, bones or fragments of it. And so as we read Luke's account of Jesus coming back to life, yeah, you're just struck by the genuineness of Luke's account as you see these people's reaction to an unlikely event, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. The second thing to notice is I think the main point Luke's making is that Jesus' resurrection, it's an event that has huge significance, lasting significance. You see it at least three times in the chapter. So if you look at verses 6 to 8, there's hints there. Um, When these these men remind the women of Jesus' words, they say he's not here in verse 6, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you, man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. The resurrection of Jesus, it's part of this bigger plan, this fulfilment. Second time you see it is with the people on the road to Emmaus in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said about in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus' resurrection is part of this 
big plan of God's that goes back deep into the Old Testament. His Old Testament hopes are fulfilled in Jesus. The third time Luke shows us is when Jesus is explaining things to his disciples in verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, the law of the prophets and the Psalms. It's a way of talking about the whole of the Old Testament. And then in verse 45, he opened their minds so they could understand scriptures. Verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Jesus' resurrection, it has lasting significance. It's a truth on which everything we believe in is built. It's part of God's plan since the beginning of time. And so as you read Luke's account of Jesus' resurrection, you notice the genuine response of people to this unlikely event, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and you notice the way that this event has lasting significance. And just after reading through Luke's account of Jesus' resurrection, the question is, well, how do you respond to what you're reading? How do you respond to what you've seen? I think the right answer is in verse 47. If you think about verse 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. How do you respond to Jesus' resurrection? Well, you look at that verse, there's a demand, repentance, and there's a promise, forgiveness. Repentance, it just means turning back to God, doing a U-turn, saying, sorry, God, for ignoring you. It means stopping ignoring God, doing the U-turn, coming back to God. That's what repentance is. It means acknowledging Jesus as your Lord, the one that God has raised from the dead as king over everything. Repentance means acknowledging Jesus as your Lord. The promise is forgiveness. The promise is that Jesus' death in your place is sufficient to deal with all your sin so that God punishes Jesus instead of you. It's the way God deals with his righteous anger at sin, the way that he can declare sinful people to be right with him. And so the promise is that Jesus is your saviour. Repentance, Jesus is your Lord. Forgiveness, Jesus is your saviour. How do you respond to Jesus' resurrection? Well, we should accept Jesus as our Lord and as our saviour. I took you to 1 Corinthians 15 at the start of the sermon where Paul writes, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we've been found false witnesses. If you can disprove the resurrection, we've got nothing, nothing to live for. But Paul also wrote in the verses preceding that, in verses 1 to 8 of chapter 15, he says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. If you want to disprove Christianity, disprove the resurrection. But if after looking at Luke's orderly account you're thinking there could be some truth in this, then you should be the Lord and your Saviour. And so the question is, do you know Jesus as Lord and Saviour? Um, if you want to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you might pray a prayer like the one on the screen, the one I'm going to pray. You can pray any prayer, but this one does the job. It says, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for failing to recognise you and living like you don't exist. It says, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die my death for me and raising him to life. Thank you for making him my Lord and my Saviour. 
and it says, please, please forgive me and help me live for Jesus. Sorry, thank you, and please. I'll pray that prayer. I'll pray it nice and slowly so that if you want to, you can pray silently in your own heart to God as well and echo the words. Um, it's the kind of prayer which we pray to become a Christian. It's we pray as Christians, and it's a good prayer to be praying at Easter. So let's pray together. Dear God, I'm sorry for failing to recognise you and living like you don't exist. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die my death for me and for raising him to life. Thank you for making Jesus Lord and Saviour. Please forgive me and change me to live for Jesus. Amen. Um, If you did want to talk about um, that prayer or anything else, please come and find me or Raik or someone else after church.